welcome to Emotion Well, EFR's podcast about all things related to emotional wellness. I'm Johanna Dunlevy, the wellness manager for Employee and Family Resources, also known as EFR, and I'm the host of our podcast. As an FYI, EFR is located in Des Moines, Iowa, and we are Iowa's first employee assistance program and provide a variety of services you can learn more about at www.efr.org. I'm here with Jim Wichman. Jim, welcome to Emotion Well. It's wonderful. It's great being here. I appreciate the yeah, opportunity. Yeah, I've heard so much about you. Tammy Hoyman, uh, the CEO of Employee and Family Resources, and my leader had shared that you would be a great person to have on the podcast. <laughs> and so I said, sure, I reached out to you and you agreed. So I'm very excited to have you here and just to hear more about your life story and uh, the positive experiences that you've had with uh, counseling. And I know you've had positive experiences with EFR. And so while we're not here to talk about you know, your EFR specific experience, I think it's important just to remind our listeners that Jim came to EFR through his EAP benefit uh, several years ago. And so uh, at the end of the podcast, I'll just remind the listeners, if you have our EAP, what some of the resources are. So Jim, tell me a little bit about yourself, you know, just the the basics, where you grew up, uh, maybe where you went to school, where you are now. Sure. I grew up in a town um, called Ottumwa, Iowa. And and a lot of people kind of chuckle a little bit if they know about Ottumwa. Yeah. And the way I look at it is I am Ottumwa. So when people think about what does that mean, well, that's kind of who I am and what I'm about. In Ottumwa, I I was raised by my mom, single parent, um, four children. So I have a older sibling, Julie, and then younger siblings, Mary and Eddie. Um, Throughout that experience, we financially struggled quite a bit. Uh, and I say that because I remember, you know, the house, the cockroach invested houses, the you know, house that we lived in. Uh, my mom worked multiple jobs. What I remember most about that experience, though, was the um, school district and the community rallied around our family. Instead of judging us, mm-hmm. they sat with us and walked with nice. us. Anywhere from um, the principal um, putting me into leadership positions um, as young as elementary to the high school um, families reaching out to my mom saying, hey, Jim, uh, Teresa, Jimmy's got a football game in Fairfield this Friday. I know it's important for you to go. Do you have a ride? If not, we have you. Yeah. So it's just pretty cool. Um, homeless for a period of time, um, house fire. And when I say a period of time, I don't know, three, four or five months, something like oh, that. Oh, wow. But we never knew we were homeless because we always had a place to stay because yeah. the community rallied around. Yeah. Had a friend named uh, Mike Schooley, his grandpa, purchased a house for us to rent from, and that's kind of, that's where we kind of resided for many years after that. Okay. I'm currently um, I'm married to my wife for 27 years. Congratulations. Thank you. Probably more congratulations to me for, you know, for, <laughs> you know that and then keeping her with me. I have a daughter, Emma Kate. She's 26. A daughter, Evelyn. She's 22. And a son, Red, who's 16, almost 17. All right. And so you have a background in education, and you were a school principal in various locations throughout the state of Iowa. Tell us a little bit about that. Were you a teacher and then a school administrator, or were you? Sure. Actually, I um, graduated from UNI, Northern Iowa. I did, too. Go Panthers. Go Panthers. Uh, I was a teacher in Urbandale for about five years, and then my um, Calling was to step into the fire a little bit more and be a part of the solution. And I, so I started as a principal in a town called Ventura, Iowa, North Iowa. From there, I spent um, 11 years in the Pleasant Valley School District in Eastern Iowa, four years in 
uh, Central DeWitt, Eastern Iowa as well, and then most recently in Ankeny for about seven, seven or eight years. M most of my time was in the middle school years. My experience in education as principal is about 25 years, and it's been a part of coming in and kind of maybe riding a ship, wherever that ship might be sailing, kind of yeah. with the system. A lot of times it's with culture and some academics. And when I say that, it's really good people where we had to just kind of refocus our whys and purposes and alignment. That has then led me on to working with administrators and school districts throughout the country and, and keynote speaking. Yeah, and we can include some of your information in our show notes. I follow you on LinkedIn, so I see that you get to travel quite a bit and, and speak about your experiences. And uh, I think, well, before we started recording, you said you're more of an inspirational speaker than a motivational speaker. Did I remember that correctly? That's what um, has been shared with me as far okay. as comments. All right. And I, yeah. think, I think the purpose of that one is um, what I share is really talking about the human spirit that we have. And a lot of what I have learned from Shannon and Rick here, at, uh, as far as therapists that, I, that I've worked with, is a big part of the message. Yeah. And, and, and I tell stories about that. Maybe that if I speak more broadly about being a I don't, client, patient, I'm not even sure what the terminology a is, client, a work, a client mm -hmm. working with a therapist that maybe we can kind of uh, release some of the stigma, make it a yeah, stigma absolutely. that goes along with mental health. I think especially for men, men who seek therapy probably feel that the stigma is a little bit greater than women. So you said, you mentioned Shannon and Rick, and they are two former counselors at Employee and Family Resources. And so when you were with Ankeny Community School District, you had our EAP benefit. So do you want to sure. share a little bit with our listeners about how you kind of segued from, you know, wherever you were in life to, hey, I should explore that benefit and maybe I should talk to a counselor. So what was the moment where you decided to reach out to EFR? So when you think of Jim Wichman, you can typically think of someone who's energetic, um, excitable along the way, but I never really talked about the dark side. I shouldn't say dark side, but the other side. Yeah. The side that probably had more emotions, more that was, that was tricky navigating. I remember... Um, sharing with people that I would say, you, you know, EAP is a great service. You should go. There's three free visits to, to a mm -hmm. therapist. You should explore it. But I never did. I continue to, um, in my case, stuff down emotions or maybe even try to drink them away. Mm -hmm. and, so, and so that was just one example of how many times I probably wasn't very truthful with myself. And uh, I went through the, the um, with great encouragement from my wife, went through the it's time to walk the talk. Yeah. So I did. And uh, I talked with Rick. And we started talking. And, and Rick helped me understand that some of the trauma that I had as a youth, that we weren't addressing it. Mm -hmm. And so while I was telling myself I was okay, you know, the ACEs um, assessment yeah. was telling me I wasn't okay. But Adverse, I was myself, and we just did a podcast about adverse childhood experiences. So, the, the so scale of 10, yes. I think it is. Yep. I was like nine. Okay, wow. Yeah, but I didn't, but I was okay. Like if I keep, if you keep you're telling okay. me, yeah. if you keep telling yourself <laughs> that, I'm okay. Yeah. I don't need that. Right. Uh, and every time I told that, I was like stuffing down. Mm -hmm. Now, my explosive behavior was telling me I was not okay. Right. As well. So I went and saw Rick. I sat there and I kind of talked with Rick and went through the formalities of it. And then, uh, you know, I came back the second time. And I started talking and Rick helped me understand some things. And I would talk about the story. And this is the second time I was telling the story about to Rick that, you know, 
in my, I've always had a clean bedroom, loves clean bedroom. And when everything is tidy, it was important to me. Mm -hmm. And Rick would share with me, you know, you're equating tidy with safety. Oh, yeah. I'm like, well, I don't know what you're talking about there. But I do know this, that when I got married, my bedroom wasn't so tidy anymore. And then the space in my bedroom got smaller and smaller. And then um, we went, we had double sinks in the bathroom. And oh, my God, that was great. I had my own sink. Uh -huh. My wife had hers. Uh -huh. And I would look at my sink. And it was, it was wiped down. It was so perfect. And then I would walk away. And I'd come back and there'd be like a curling iron there, a brush, maybe some hairspray. And I'm like, what are you doing? This is important to me. Uh -huh. So I remember the second time Rick goes, that's what we're going to talk about next time. I go home and I tell Amy, guess what we're going to talk about next time. <laughs> and I'm posturing and everything else along with that. And Amy's rolling her eyes. So uh, I go back and I talk with Rick the third time. And we're starting to talk about that, unpack a little bit more. And he goes, all right, let's play this out. I'm going to give you a tool to do. I'm going to practice this. I'm like, great. Now, mind you, I had my notepad and pen. And I'm ready to take because what I cannot wait to figure out what I'm going to say to Amy when I go pack and make her burn for putting that <laughs> hairbrush there, the curling iron, and the hairspray there. Uh -huh. And so I'm telling Rick this story, and then he goes, all right, here's what you're going to do. And I'm writing this stuff down. I always take my journal with me to therapy. I write it down, and I say, okay. He goes, next time you see the hairbrush, okay, I got it. wrote it down. Next time I see it, you look at that, and you say, no matter what, under any circumstance, I'm safe. I write that down, no matter what, understand what I'm saying, I'm safe. Okay, perfect. The burn part. I want to get to the burn part. <laughs> and then he, then he would say, and then you pick everything up, turn to your left, and set it in her sink. Okay, did it. Turn, sink. And then what? So excited about this. And then he goes, <laughs> and then you walk away. Oh, there's no burn part. There's no burn Spoiler part. alert. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and I remember, like, I go home and I tell Amy this, and, and I know that she's, like, ready for this, they're probably going to fight the breakout. And I'm telling her just like I told you. And then walk away. And I, like, I looked at Amy and I go, apparently this therapy thing isn't about anybody but me. Yeah. And it was, like, earth-shattering. Yeah. So what Rick was doing, he was helping me retrain my brain. Mm-hmm. That it's not about making other people suffer with you. It's about you taking care of yourself. Yeah. So it's kind of like my code words now. If I get in a crisis word, it's no matter what, under any circumstances, you're safe. Yeah. And it retrains my brain. Yeah. Along the way within that. Can I ask, are you someone who is anxiously wired? Like, do you feel like you have anxiety? That's a good question. It's a personal question, so. Yeah. No, I... Be open when things now, yeah. but I would say that when I was chewing, when I was drinking, mm -hmm. I was a lot more wired and anxious than I am sober. Yeah. So I've been sober today is like 540 days. Congratulations. I haven't had tobacco in probably five years, and I religiously you know, seek the support of a therapist. Mm -hmm. So the more I do that, the less anxious I sure. am and the more perspective, the better perspective I have along the way. Yeah. So if you were to ask me that two, three years ago, I'm not sure what answer I'd get you. If I was telling, if I was being honest with myself, I'd probably say, yes, I'm very anxious. Mm -hmm. If I was playing the game, you know, lying to self, I'd probably say, no, I'm good. Yeah. I just think I have anxiety and I think a lot of, you know, the, the ways I try to control 
situations or in moments where I don't feel safe, like, you know, your story about the, the hairbrush in the sink and Rick just telling you, like, in this moment I am safe or I don't remember the exact words yep. even though you just told me. But <laughs> it's like, yeah, it just sounds like something that if you are experiencing anxiety, you know, sometimes we try to control our environment or other people because we feel so out of control and that's only going to make your anxiety worse because there's so little that you can control in life. And then those feelings of, you know, insecurity or, or not feeling safe. So that's a really, that's that, a cool story. Thank you for saying that to me. I would say though, that it needs to be noted before going to therapy and before stopping drinking, my kids will tell you whenever volume got up, mm -hmm. I would get more anxious and oh, then okay. I would shut it down because quiet is also safety. Yeah. That's true. And so there's that's my anxiety building up. And, yeah. Um, that has, it's real. I, I can I know it's real. Yeah. Because I felt it. Yeah. But so today, it's a lot less of that situation that I have to navigate than in the past. Mm -hmm. How do you how do you view your life changing since you stopped drinking and and chewing, just using substances to maybe mm -hmm. make you feel better in the moment, but not necessarily better long-term. And I'm just, I, I guess those are my words, not yours. But I mean, I think a lot of people cite when they use substances, whether it's food, drugs, alcohol, in the moment they might feel better, but over the, the long-term they don't. So when I, whenever, by the way, whenever I say Shannon, that's my therapist. Yes. Okay, so Shannon is, is, is synonym, synonymous with therapy at my household. What you just described there is something that I couldn't really navigate. Yeah. Shannon helped me articulate the pattern of drinking I would have. So mm -hmm. if I would drink, it was just, there's a buzz, it's a feel good. Mm -hmm. It's when we start coming down that gets really uncomfortable. Sure. And, and, and 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times more painful. Mm -hmm. So we keep in it and we have to drink more to get above that. It was a lot easier for me not to drink than it is for me to stop after I started. Yeah. And that's very important because my anxiety would increase once I started coming down. Uh-huh. Since I, and it's similar with the, the, the chewing tobacco, once that's stopped, I, I can't tell you the amount. Freedom is the best word I can describe the sensation. I'm not thinking about the next time. I'm not thinking about how to, where to go to get a drink, or I don't think about alcohol. The, the, uh, the worries, the stress, and everything that goes along with it after you have to navigate a lot of things. You know what I get to do? I get to leave a bar at midnight, drive home, and not have to worry about a thing. Yeah. You see yeah. anxiety. Yeah. 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 Come back and tell And it's, it's those little things that really matter to me. What's wonderful I think is I stick, I'm still the same Jim Witchman, mm -hmm. but probably more genuine. Yeah. In the past with that. So freedom is the best answer I have when it comes to releasing or life after. Yeah. So, uh, so you're a middle-aged man. I hope I can say that on the record. I would say yes. That's, <laughs> that's very safe. Uh, what, what do you think holds a lot of men back from reaching out to a Shannon, a Rick, a therapist, an EAP benefit. Because there is, you know, when we look at our book of business, uh, you know, we, women use therapy and counseling services typically more often than men, right? Um, 
And so if we're looking at our male dominant industries that we serve our EAP benefits to, sometimes we see lower utilization within manufacturing construction um, just because they're more male dominant. So what do you think as a man speaking for, you know, other men, what do you think is a driver for that stigma? I think the first one, this is me. So right. Speak for myself. So just speaking for yourself. Flat yes. out lying to yourself. I lied to myself numerous, numerous times about a lot of things. About being okay. About being okay. About feelings. I can't handle something. And so there's, there's probably a lot of testosterone that goes along with what do you mean you can't handle it? Mm-hmm. Or the, the, the stigma of you need to have help with even just going to the doctor. You cut yourself, you're, you're sawing tree limbs and you cut your... Your finger, you know, guys, they don't go get stitches. They get duct tape and they wrap it around there, right? Uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I have known someone to do that. Right. Yes. <laughs> Same. I've done that. And so there's like a merit badge that goes along with battling uh-huh. through without any help. Uh-huh. Beating the chest kind of thing. The other part of it is it, it, it can feel like you are giving in. You're losing your week. If I didn't give in, I wouldn't be as strong as I am today. Right. When... I will say that my circles of friends, I speak openly about working with Shannon. And the more I talk about it, the more stories that people will be said to me. When I'm speaking, I know I'm, I'm touching the hearts of many because they come up afterwards and speak with me. Some will even ask to get their picture taken with me, which kind of was like fun. <laughs> uh, until one said, well, we like you're a great guy and everything, but we just want a memory of this picture to capture this moment. Yeah. Because this moment, that's something. Yeah. Like, okay. That's not the way I'm going to replay the story. <laughs> uh, and so I can't really answer, but I think everybody has their own journey. Mm-hmm. And I also don't think we can force people to go to therapy. No. It's like when I'm coaching administrators, the best success stories come from people who want to be coached. Let their vulnerable side show mm-hmm. because we don't make it about ourselves. And, and I think the answer to your question, I think a lot of it is we're not truthful for ourselves and then we see um, – Probably some vulnerabilities that come out that society has told us that it's not acceptable, Mm -hmm. which is sad to me. Yeah, absolutely. So you, because you were a school administrator for 25 years, Mm -hmm. I'm just curious what your take on is just, you know, the mental health of teachers and and people working with students. And um, it just feels like there has to be a lot of pressure on them. I mean, the world is changing quickly. Students are experiencing things at younger ages than, you know, mm-hmm. when we were going through school. So just from your school administrator hat, and I know you, when you're doing your speaking engagements, you do speak with other school districts, correct? Small companies, other school districts. Yeah. yeah. What are some of the emerging themes? And it doesn't have to be specific to schools, but if that's the industry per se that you feel like you know the best, then you can speak to that specifically. What type of support do people need? So as I mentioned before the podcast, the, the servant to society, I have to have something to give back. Mm-hmm. Uh, public education was in the community of Atomog who gave our family and myself so much and I have to serve back. So going into the tough situations where um, support needed to be given was, was really self-fulfilling to me. Mm-hmm. I had a great job in Ankeny, a great staff. I love working with, I miss them, but there was something pulling me and it was exactly what you said. I see the outside world who's never been in the classrooms 
throwing stones, mm-hmm. making comments that just were hurtful. Mm-hmm. And I saw our teachers were typically humble throughout the country. They're like, it's okay. It's just what we do. You know, that's not why we don't we need the accolades. And then it just hit me. It was like, enough. We can't do this. And I feel like they need a voice and a voice that, you know, it comes to, I'm not looking to be a politician or anything like that. What I am looking to do is help people see and rise up and celebrate each other all along the way so that maybe this noise we can like makes a difference. So mm-hmm. I operate with, um, I mentioned James Dean. I love that my mom gave me the middle name of Dean. So uh-huh. James Dean. And we talked about the James Dean, the actor, yeah. rebel without a cause. Well, I'm James Dean, a rebel with a cause. Yeah. Phrase that my wife laughs at, but <laughs> but it's one that I do, and that cause is is helping people see their value and live their value and celebrate each other, so that when they're operating, it's not a quiet humble. It's like celebrating, high fiving, yeah. recognizing, and then that voice gets louder and louder, mm-hmm. and then we quiet the people who have no clue yeah. what they're talking about yeah. in education because our kids deserve it. And right now, what's being said. Is hurting the kids. We need to give the energy to the adults mm-hmm. so that they have energy for the kids. Now, when it comes to where kids are changing everything, I don't know how much of that I really truly agree with because I've been in middle school since '83 as a student, yeah. as a teacher, and 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 middle school kids are middle school kids. They struggle the same. They celebrate the same. They're loyal the same. They have other things to navigate, but they're the same. What is different about it is. The society and family dynamics. Families will come in, they'll be 100% supportive if we bring them along with us. But we have to step up and bring them along with us along the way. When we make uh, I don't, arguments a part of what is acceptable, then we're really missing the part of it. And I, I believe that that's the humanistic approach. And so I want to be the rebel without a, with the cause in making that 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 noise, that support, that humanistic approach to how we operate, mm-hmm. everybody's got a great story. Mm-hmm. So instead of talking about people, sit down and talk with people. Yeah. That preposition matters. Yeah, absolutely. I'm dropping a little grammar for you. <laughs> so you're also a father. You mentioned you have three kids and they're, I would say even, you know, your, your daughters who are in their twenties, they're in their formative years as Mm -hmm. your son is, who's Mm -hmm. a teenager as a father, what types of, uh, supports do you, you know, want to see your kids take advantage of, or, you know, and not getting into the specifics, but you know, how do you parent given all the stuff that you've learned about yourself in therapy and the benefits of therapy? How do you use that information to support your kids? It's a great question. So my eldest two didn't get to experience the the sober therapy father. Right. So the joke at our house kind of is, is my son has never seen the explosive father. Okay. And the the girls are like, how come you don't yell at him? Right. My response is, you can thank Shannon. (laughs) You can thank Shannon for that. Yeah. You can thank Shannon for that. And we talk about what that looks like along the way. And I share bits and pieces of my story growing up and including the parts, not all the, the, the negative parts, but the parts that help me better a better person. I want my kids to look at me and see getting seeing that getting a mental support as far as like a therapist or a counselor 
psychiatrist, psychologist, whatever it might be, is part of what you do to take care of yourself. Mm -hmm. Just like I want them to see me go get a physical right. well check. Yeah. I want them to see me taking care of my body. And, and, and I want them to know that I want to be around for being the best grandpa I can be. Yeah. So often we want to get better for other people. We don't say we want to get better for ourselves. Right. My daughter, Allie, was just sharing a, a podcast with me. I don't even know the podcast, but he was talking about dating yourself or falling in yeah. love with yourself. And we talk like it's not okay to fall in love with yourself first. We should be giving to everybody else along the way. But we can't do that if we're not taking care of ourselves. We have right. nothing to give away. Right. So we think about educators that give, give, give. If, they, if we don't allow them to take care of themselves, they, got no, they have nothing to give. Yeah. And so as a father, it's the same thing with parenting. And by the way, parenting's tough. We all get the same user manual. For your listeners, they're like, I didn't get the user manual. Yep. <laughs> we all get the same user manual. It's got a beautiful cover. You open it up for your first child and the pages are blank. Yeah. Right? Oh, yeah. Second child, beautiful cover. You open it up, it does say something in there. It says, do the opposite. <laughs> yeah. Right? Or this child will be different. You know? Guaranteed like, yeah, it'll yeah, be different. Yeah, yeah. And we navigate. Yet we have people that throw stones about parenting styles mm -hmm. all the time. Every parent is doing the best they know how. Yeah. Under the circumstances they're parenting in. It's all they And know. everyone has different circumstances. Everybody has different circumstances yeah. of everything what they've known. So you take the, the person, like my mom. My mom was doing the best she knew how. And what people don't always understand, yep, we were on welfare. We, we, we Welfare supported us. Mm -hmm. It is not easy being on welfare. There's a lot of paperwork that goes along yeah. with it and everything else. So if you, they, you could say, you need to be home for your kids. Well, I can't because I'm working three jobs. Or you need to have more jobs so you're not on welfare. But I get, where, where's the parenting? Mm -hmm. I think my mom navigated it wonderfully. Yeah. We went to work with her. <laughs> um, now, I'm curious, like, did you see at the time when you were growing up that your mom was doing the best she could? Or did that come later? Because I thought, as a, I'm a mom, I have a six-year-old daughter, and I've always wondered this, like, will she look back someday and recognize, like, my mom was doing the best she could? Yeah, I'll tell you. Um, the answer to your question is no, I did not. Right. When I look back and I think of all that she did do, and she had to put her humble pie, her feelings aside about that, and take support from people who wanted the help. Mm -hmm. As a son, I hated seeing that because I didn't want that help. It made me feel less. As an adult now, I'm giving any chance I possibly can. So how she did that, we don't know. So my mom recently had a major stroke. And in that process, that. we learned a lot. She's alive, and we're very happy for that. It's a miracle that my sister was there. So we were making funeral plans now. Just to take care of all this business. She's, she's, she's yeah. now failing on her left side, but mentally she's really good. And, and the Bridges at Ankeny has been just outstanding place. Probably a little plug there. I'm not Shout sure out Bridges Shout at Ankeny. Bridge, the Bridges at <laughs> Ankeny. But I was thinking about what you said about parenting. And I said some really mean things to my mom. It took, it didn't take a, it was a, a village to raise me. It took all of Wapolo County to raise me. <laughs> I gave uh, everybody down there as many lemons as possible. And they kept saying, nope, it's lemonade, buddy. It's lemonade. But one of mom's uh, requests was for me to read this book to her. Recently? Recently. Okay, so she's okay, saying... Okay. They're putting together plans gotcha, all gotcha. taken care of, yep. which everybody should do, including self, but we, I have not. 
So that's kind of hypocritical. <laughs> anyway, so to read this book. And this book, I remember when I gave it to her. I gave it to her when I was a junior, senior in college. And my teacher, Mary Bell Betterton, read it to me at Northern Iowa. She read it to the whole class. Jim Witchman and 39 girls. <laughs> so she reads this book to us. And it's Love You Forever. That's okay. the name of the book. I can't remember the author. Love You Forever. And in there it talks about this mom taking this baby home and with the baby sleeping, she picks him up at night and rocks him back and forth and sings, I love you forever. I like you a lot. As long as you're living, my baby, you'll be. Mm -hmm. And then the teenager grows and grows and grows and grows and goes up and then becomes a toddler. Same thing. I love you forever. Okay. As long as I'm living, my baby, you'll be. Mm -hmm. It goes on. Um, talks about the uh, uh, ages of the teenage years and how goofy we all are at the adolescent age. Same thing. Sleeping, she walks in, picks him up, cradles mm -hmm. him, sings him to song. Same thing when he's an adult. So it's kind of exaggerative, but it also has a lot of meaning to it. So picks him up as an adult, same thing. Life goes on, mom gets old, Son has his family of his own. Mom can't go see him anymore because she's older. He goes over and does the same thing to mom. Mm -hmm. Great story. Hard for me to say that, obviously. Yeah. So the secret to parenting, I think, is in the book. It's amazing, <laughs> and she knew it. Yeah. It's called no matter. It's unconditional love. Yeah. For your babies, no matter what you do, you're yeah. there for them. Yeah. And my mom raised four kids: poverty, welfare, homeless. Nine college degrees. We broke the system because my mom yeah. and the community of Atonement. Yeah. So all of us are doing the best we know how. We judge because some parents have, that's all they know how. Mm -hmm. And so the best we can. Mm -hmm. My kids will even tell you, I'm a much better principal than I am parent. They've had me as a principal, that's why they said that. But they love me mm -hmm. because they know that I will do anything for them. Yeah. So your six-year-old, they might not always know. Because remember, our brains aren't fully developed until we're... 25, I believe 25. Yeah. Some people might even say, I think my wife might tell me that mine started developing around 48. <laughs> so there's always that. Yes. That's why we need therapists to help right. with that, right? So it, it just, but parents are getting pretty rough on themselves. And then when it comes to somebody's doing their baby wrong, instead of letting them and walking with them or behind them to support them, we try to walk in front of them and be the snowplow. Uh-huh. And that's really hard. Yeah. I've heard the analogy of driver education where your kid gets a permit to drive and you're sitting with them, navigating the system with them. Mm -hmm. You go from being in the driver's seat to putting them in the driver's uh -huh. seat and you're navigating with them. And eventually they're going to do it by themselves. Yeah. It's kind of what it is like in life. Yeah, absolutely. But boy, it's scary when they're behind the wheel by themselves. <laughs> well, I've got 10 years to wait for that, but I'm already thinking about it. Don't blame uh, I know. I know. It goes goes fast. Uh, well, this has been such a fun conversation. How do people connect with you? Do you have contact information? Is there a way? What's your LinkedIn? Is it Jim Witchman? My LinkedIn is Jim Witchman, okay. yes. Uh, Twitter, at Jim Witchman. Do you have a website? I actually have. Uh, it's uh, I do. Um, Inspired edification is what. All right, I'll link. I'll link it in the show notes. We don't need to know exactly what it is. No one's gonna remember from hearing. They're gonna click in the show what notes. What I'm going so. to say though is, I, I, I started this off with a life 
broadcast on Instagram to students that involve the parents. And I think we forget this sometimes. And I know it sounds like just something that I say, but I mean it. That no matter what, under any circumstance, we're never alone. Mm-hmm. And you matter. Yeah. I'm saying that to you yeah. and to you. So I, you can give out any information I have, including the phone number, because I have to give back yeah. to the people. So if anybody were to call me up, I'll sit and listen. With little you know me, I'll probably also be talking, but <laughs> I can listen. Yeah. And that's what people need to remember is that we do matter. Yeah. And I think a lot of people want someone who will listen to them. I think a lot of times people are uncomfortable listening and just listening. They want to listen and try to solution seek, you know, like, well, what if, what if we try this? What if you did this? Have you considered this? And pains, pains. sometimes you just want someone to listen. Yeah. And that's, that's it. So that's great that you're a listener. And, uh, I have a, I'm in Al-Anon and uh, I ordered a, my Al-Anon Courage to Change book online. So it came used, already highlighted. So it's kind of fun to see what the person who had it before me enjoyed about the book. But inside it, there's a little business card for a woman who lives in Chicago. I'm guessing she was a previous owner of the book and it has her name. And then it just says good listener where it would have like your mm-hmm. job position, you know, but it has her name and it has good listener. And I've never reached out to her. Uh, but I've always thought, well, you know, if I ever need to, she said she's a good listener. So I could, and the world needs more good listeners. Right, so yeah. thank you for being one of them. So you're familiar with the serenity prayer. Then? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so I have attended <laughs> Al-Anon and Elatine. Okay. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change. Mm-hmm. Courage to change the things I can and wisdom to know the difference, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. In the book, QBQ, Question Behind the Question, John Miller takes a little twist to that. Okay, what is it? God grant me the serenity to accept the people I cannot change. Yep. Courage to change the one I can. Mm-hmm. And wisdom to know that it's me. Yes, that's good. <laughs> that is really good. Mm-hmm. And that's in the book, The Question Behind the Question? Yep, QBQ, The Question Behind the Question, John Miller. Well, this has been a very fun conversation. Well, so thank you I for your time. And, and I just want to say one last thing. I said that probably five more times. Ago. One last thing. One last thing. Final. Final. Great advice that my teacher gave me a long time ago. Is if you can't move the world, shake it as you go by. So if you're listening to this podcast, shaking it go by is just simply doing something good for someone else. Unexpected, no response needed. Compliment mm-hmm. here, compliment there. Mm-hmm. Picking up trash. Opening the door, these little things that make help people see that they are valued and that they matter. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you for allowing me to shake the world. Yes. Emotion Well is hosted by Johanna Dunlevy and produced by Casey Johnson. 